0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz
1: every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm
0: Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time. From the Wall Street Journal editorial board, a big welcome to Kimberly Strassel. Hello and thank you for your time. Hello, Bill. Great to have you on. I want to pick your brain today, see where we think we are and what we might learn. Uh, And I I have some clips from an interview with Bill Barr back in May that I'll I'll get to in a moment. But just uh, on that front, what, what do you think or how do you think things have changed with Bill Barr as Attorney General?
1: Oh, it's been enormously important having Bill Barr there. And first of all, is just the man himself, because he's been through this rodeo before. He had already been the attorney general. And as he said in his confirmation hearing, uh, he's a bit of an unusual attorney general this time around, too, in that he doesn't really have any ambitions for higher office or for other political posts. He really did take this job because he wanted to restore some accountability to the Department of Justice. And that's the other important aspect of Bill Barr, is that for two years now, ever since Trump was inaugurated, uh, we've seen a lot of people working very hard to insulate the Department of Justice and the FBI from having to answer about what they did in the 2016 election in terms of their Trump-Russia investigation. Mm -hmm. And Bill Barr cares deeply about making sure that there is credibility at his uh, department, and a lot of Americans have lost that. So he's launched this investigation, and I think that restores a lot of faith for a lot of people out there.
0: Uh, Ultimately, it may. I see it as three tracks. Disagree with me if you choose. You've got an inside investigation at Justice Department under the Inspector General, the IG, Michael Horowitz. You've got a prosecutor, John Durham, out of Connecticut, who was assigned by Bill Barr, who's doing his own outside investigation. And you've got House Democrats who, some or many would appear, are intent on impeachment. Do you agree that those are the three tracks, Kimberly?
1: Yep, those are the three. And I would add into your impeachment bucket that underneath that umbrella is their broader claim that obstruction encompasses all aspects of the Trump administration. And so they've got a, a personal vendetta, as it were, against Barr himself, which is why you're seeing these contempt actions against him and then against former White House counsel Don McGahn, et cetera.
0: So you mentioned how Bill Barr is looking into this Russia probe. Here is what he said in San Salvador with me back in the month of May.
2: The thing that's interesting about this is that this was handled at a very senior level of these departments. It wasn't handled in the ordinary way that investigations or counterintelligence activities are conducted. It was sort of an ad hoc small group, and most of these people are no longer with the FBI or the CIA or the other agencies involved.
0: There are two things I hear in there, handled at a very senior level of these departments. So who is that, Kimberly? And most of these people, he says, are no longer with the FBI or the CIA. And they would come under category number two that I mentioned and the outside prosecutor, John Durham. Take that first point
1: so what he said there is enormously important because if you talk to people who come out of the fbi and the doj they routinely flag how unusual this investigation was in terms of its handling and the number one point there is that it was handled out of fbi headquarters and one of the reasons you don't do that normally is because people forget the fbi actually does have a lot of rules and regulations that it is required to follow in pursuing these investigations and so The investigations are usually handled out at a field office and FBI central headquarters acts as a check on their actions so it says no you you know they run it up the flagpole is it okay to do this and you have some distance and they go that doesn't really pass the smell test you should stand down a bit uh, when you run it out of central headquarters yourself there is no check you are the ultimate arbiter and you talk to guys like Andy McCarthy who I know comes on Fox a lot he's a former federal prosecutor he says this was a, a huge mistake and what it meant is that it was put entirely in the hands to answer your question of guys like Jim Comey his deputy, Andy McCabe, the general counsel, uh, James Baker, uh, Comey's chief of staff, Jim Rabicki, and all of these guys, we don't really know the story behind all of them, but more than a dozen senior members of the FBI leadership have all either been fired or retired in the last two years, which would seem to be a statement on their actions in 2016.
0: Mm-hmm. Let me go back to this interview again with Barr, and here is the phrase that he used repeatedly, Kimberly, things don't hang together. Here it is.
2: I've been trying to get answers to questions, and I found that a lot of the answers have been adic- inadequate, and I, I've also found that uh, some of the explanations I've gotten don't hang together. So in, in a sense, I have more questions today than I did when I first started. I think people have to find out what the government was doing during that period. If we're, if we're worried about foreign influence, for the very same reason, we should be worried about whether government officials abuse their power and put their thumb on the scale. And and so I'm not saying that happened, uh, but I'm saying that we have to look at that.
0: So he takes the job and he asks questions and does not get the answers that add up. That's essentially what it took away from that answer, Kimberly.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And he's I would wager he's talking about a couple of different things here just from from my long study of all of this. One is probably. The origin story that the FBI has provided over why it supposedly launched its Trump-Russia investigation to start with, and we've been told for a long time that it was because of a a conversation that a third-tier Trump campaign aide, George Papadopoulos, had in the spring with a a Maltese professor in which he was supposedly told that the Russians had some sort of dirt on Hillary Clinton. Um, I think, you know, if you're a, a reasonable attorney general you would wonder how something as insignificant as that could inspire an entire counterintelligence probe. So probably that, probably some of the timing questions. The FBI has claimed it did not officially start its investigation until July 31st, 2016, but we have uh, a lot of evidence that it was engaged with members of the Trump campaign prior to that date. Um, And probably some of the arguments that the FBI has given for why it needed to move ahead on this and why it needed to obtain surveillance warrants against American citizens, which in retrospect look pretty flimsy on their face.
0: Why is it important to understand when it began? If it was earlier than July of 2016, why is that significant?
1: It's significant because, again, going back to the rules and procedures, again, a lot of people forget the the FBI has got an entire manual called its Domestic Operations and Investigations Guide, which sets out, you know, in huge detail what you need to commence an investigation, what levels of proof, what kind of sources you need to use, etc. And, you know, there is an importance to starting an official investigation because it's It's what gives you access to those tools. If the FBI was employing a lot of these tools before it had actually officially started an investigation, that could be potentially a big no-no.
0: Speaking of dates, I find the period between the election in November of 2016, inauguration day January 2017, to be intriguing. In other words, what was happening during that period to either, well, to justify your actions— or to provide answers at some point, because now you've got a guy who won an election that some people did not think they would win. And Bill Barr addressed that this way.
2: I think there were some very um, strange developments during that period. That's one of the things we want to look into. Such as? Such as uh, the handling of the meeting on January 6th between the intelligence chiefs and the president and the leaking of information subsequent to that meeting.
0: Can you characterize how far advanced you are in understanding that meeting?
2: Uh, we're still in in the stage of, of gathering all the information.
0: The point to be made there, that's the James Comey meeting at Trump Tower in January of 2017, where Comey went out to his waiting black SUV after he had met with him in private, explaining this dossier was out there and they had the information. And Comey took copious notes on his laptop after that meeting. Now, that's what Barr mentioned when I asked him about that period between Election Day and Inauguration Day. Tie the thread together there, Kimberly, and explain to us why that could be significant.
1: Well, Bill, you just put your finger on an immensely important point. Uh, Jim Comey has testified that nobody at the FBI— Not a single person was operating under the belief that Donald Trump would be elected. They all believed Hillary Clinton had it in the bag. And think about that, what that means in practicality. It means that the FBI was operating under the assumption that nobody would know what it had done on the Trump campaign. Remember, Jim Comey deliberately did not tell Congress that he was engaged in this investigation, which was a huge violation of all the usual norms. Um, they weren't entirely honest with the FISA court about who had paid for the dossier, etc. So all of the other checks and balances were not in the know, as it were. And then suddenly, Trump gets elected, and they face the prospect that a Republican president is going to find out that the FBI was spying on his own campaign. And so I think there was a lot of scurrying about to try to justify what they did, and it culminated in that meeting, which really – I don't think people have uh, absorbed just how inappropriate that meeting was handled. Uh, Jim Comey went in there and told Donald Trump only about a tiny sliver of the dossier, namely some of the accusations about his own behavior supposedly in Moscow in 2013. And he claimed that Trump needed to know this because uh, it was scurrilous and scandalous and Trump needed to know what was out there. Uh, He did not brief the incoming president of the United States, on the fact that his FBI was in fact using the dossier to conduct a counterintelligence investigation into Trump campaign members. And to withhold that from an incoming uh, administration is is really, it's another example of Comey very much exceeding his authority.
0: Well, and then it leaked down to the media a short time later. Uh, come back to this point. W- was it bad form or was it illegal?
1: The, the leak? Any of it. Well, I don't necessarily – I'm always careful with the word illegal, and I I try to remember a lot of Americans want accountability for the actions of 2016, but I try to point out that it's important that we not criminalize abuse of power. Um, Abuse of power is bad enough, but we have other means of accountability for that. I'm not necessarily certain that uh, giving the president an inadequate or misleading briefing was breaking the law. It was certainly – inappropriate. And then I think you can also make the argument or ask the question of whether or not that meeting wasn't also done with the intent of getting the media to ultimately, uh, publish the dossier because, of course, you know, it was widely known that Comey was briefing the president. And then suddenly everybody felt it was important that we know what he was briefed about. And that inspired BuzzFeed to ultimately publish all of these scandalous accusations. And, and then it,
0: it caught on like a prairie fire, as you recall. Uh, go back to the four buckets I mentioned at the top of our conversation. One of them was House Democrats, um, some of them intent on impeachment, and then you threw in another one about obstruction charges that um, they want to hold in terms of investigation against uh, President Trump. Also, this past week, Bill Barr was held in contempt of Congress. We'll, we'll see how far that goes, whether or not there's a court case to follow or not. But I asked him about that uh, in that same interview in El Salvador.
2: It's a laughable charge, and I think it's largely being made to try to discredit me, partly because they may be concerned about the outcome of a, of a review of what happened during the, uh, during the election. It's part of the usual game, you know, political circus that's being played out. It doesn't surprise me.
0: What, what strikes me, and Saul Weisenberg used to work for the Department of Justice, and he has helped quarterback a lot of the coverage we've had for the past several months. He calls Bill Barr the honey badger of Washington, D.C., as if he, he just doesn't care.
1: He doesn't care. Um, and there's only one thing that I would slightly disagree with in Bill Barr's statements there, and that was him saying, this is the usual game. This is not the usual game. It's not? No, this is a high-stakes it, no, it, high game. He's absolutely right. There is an all-out attempt uh, by Democrats to discredit him, because remember, their central role in this entire 2016 investigation. Hillary Clinton and the Democratic National Committee paid for the dossier that the FBI ended up using as a justification, part of a justification, to go after the Trump campaign. That's scandalous. And what we've seen for the past two years are intense efforts to keep that information from coming out. And there is a great fear, an enormous fear among some quarters in Washington that Bill Barr is going to produce the truth here and a judgment as to the suitability and appropriateness of this investigation if, if
0: that's true then that's that takes us to a place where the country has never been before
1: it's it's scary and that 's why look, I think that contempt vote in which the Judiciary Committee held Barr in contempt in extraordinary short period of time look when when do congresses threaten contempt of administration officials they do it They do it for one purpose in the past, it was to force them to negotiate and give some information. Um, Bill Barr was negotiating he was saying, look i can 't give you everything you 've asked for because, for instance, the grand jury material that was included in the Mueller uh, investigation is protected by federal law. I cannot hand that over to you. Uh, but what do what 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 can we work on that I can get you? They didn't want to hear it. They just instantly moved to contempt. And and that is a really unusual, unprecedented situation in Washington. And it suggests that Democrats are playing a, a game that is not usual. It's it's a it's a scary game.
0: Yeah. I'm holding a piece from Politico.com from first week of June here. Here's the headline. Dems fear report on Russia probe could kill their oversight momentum, and whatever it's referring to is the IG report. Well, why would they be worried about what Michael Horowitz could find and whether or not that dictates the length or the depth of their investigation in Congress?
1: Well, because it potentially exposes the politics. Look, right now they are making the claim that uh, Bob Mueller, even though he did not bring charges, did not make a decision on obstruction charges, that he provided evidence that is worthy of pursuing in an impeachment proceeding. Now, if Inspector General Michael Horowitz comes out and provides voluminous information that the FBI erred in all different aspects of this probe, that it proceeded without having concrete evidence, then it adds to the general understanding that this probe probably shouldn't have existed in the first place. And if so, how can you claim, you know, that the president obstructed a non-crime? And so, you know, that that's that's their pickle, is that for political reasons, they'd love nothing more than to string up this president. Well,
0: on, on that point, then, you wrote a piece on May 9th in the Wall Street Journal. It's titled What Nadler Really Wants. And I, I think you recall this. You said his strategy clearly aims at provoking a confrontation for political purposes. You use the phrase, this is red meat politics. A month, and a, a, a month yeah. and a half later, is it still?
1: Yeah, it is. And, and look, here's the problem for Democrats, is that the they waited two years. They, they demanded a special counsel. They got it. Uh, they told us for two years to sit and wait patiently for the results of that uh, proceeding. Unfortunately, Bob Mueller did not provide them the charges that they were hoping that they were going to get. Nonetheless, over those two years, they insisted to their base that Trump was guilty of all kinds of crimes. Um, and that base has come to expect that they now act And so all of this is designed to to feed that desire out there among many uh, in the resistance, as it were, um, that that want some sort of retribution against Donald Trump, who they view as an illegitimate president.
0: You conclude the rage on strategy, your words, holds electoral risks for the Democrats, suggesting Pelosi and Nadler come from pretty safe Democratic districts. But there's several dozen who do not. So how does that play out?
1: Well, and this is why you see what's happening in Congress at the moment. I'm calling it the the phony impeachment uh, drive, because, look, if you think the president is guilty of crimes, then you have an obligation as the Congress to pursue that. And there are deliberate steps you take. and One of them is that you vote to open an impeachment inquiry. And in the past, that's always how we've handled these things. And one of the reasons it makes sense is because it gives the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, in this case, Jerry Nadler, the ability to use a lot of tools to compel testimony and get a hold of documents, It makes it easier. That's why he's pushing for it. Nancy Pelosi will not go there. She continues to insist the president's guilty of all kinds of crimes, says she'd like to see him in prison. But she knows that the minute the Judiciary Committee holds that vote, that in the eyes of many Americans, that is the impeachment process. The Democrats are moving to impeach Trump. And yes, several dozen of her more moderate members who barely won election in Trump districts in this last election and who will be up again next year risk losing their seats.
0: On May 3rd, 2019, I pulled the transcript from your appearance on America's Newsroom with me. And toward the end, you mentioned the FISA courts, and you mentioned the dossier, and you phrased it the following way. Whether or not it was a political document full of false accusations designed to lure law enforcement into targeting a political campaign. Can you cite in American political history another case where that was proven? Off the top of my head, I cannot.
1: Never. This... I mean, look, you have to give Fusion GPS and Christopher Steele and the people behind the dossier absolute credit. Uh, Think about this, Bill. You've done politics for a long time. Normally, when somebody comes up with a piece of opposition research, they have to go out and try to shop it to the press. And if it doesn't have any truth to it, it's not likely it's going to be run. Uh, And here we have a document that, at least according to Bob Mueller, none of it was true uh and so what did they do instead of shopping it to the press they shopped it to the FBI And the FBI then proceeded without having verified it. Um, And that allowed then – they still got what they wanted. The press then was able to write about the FBI investigation um, and the dossier even though no one had proved any of it. So they got their narrative um, on the basis of a document, again, that our own special counsel has not been able to validate any of its claims. It was brilliant but probably one of the dirtiest political tricks in modern American history. Wow.
0: Final question then, Kimberly. I don't know if you've written this piece yet or if you've even imagined it in your own head. But just (laughs) just for our listening audience here, what do you think the story is or what do you think the story will be in the end after all of this?
1: Look, I, I get asked this a lot and people say, you know, was this partisan was this an attempt by the FBI to, to take out Donald Trump uh, because of partisan influences? And I don't use that word because partisan to me, words matter. And partisan suggests that you hate a political party um, or a political party's positions. And I don't think anyone at the FBI was sitting around saying we don't like Donald Trump's uh, tax policy and we really would prefer Hillary Clinton as president. I think Jim Comey, came down with one of the first undiagnosed cases of Trump derangement syndrome. Um, you know, and this was a guy we know from uh, Michael Horowitz's prior report on the Clinton investigation. He he felt himself to be above a lot of the normal rules and procedures. Um, and uh, he got it in his head that he was going to protect the country from some sort of menace. Um, and they proceeded. They, they ran it out of their headquarters. There was nobody offering supervision. And we had a lot of Um, FBI agents and, and senior leadership in the end who exceeded their authority. That's what I think happened.
0: If that is the case, then James Comey and others chose to believe it as true. Russian interference, the dossier. He made a decision early on that it must be fact.
1: Yeah, look. No question. And I like to separate this. I think it's very important. It gets lost in the in the mix. The FBI's original interest, which was an absolutely legitimate interest, was in looking at whether or not Russians were interfering in our election. And we know that that's the case that they did. And we should always be on guard against this. And we should be happy that the FBI had its eyes open to that, or at least to an extent, they probably should have had them open even further. Um, The mistake was allowing a rival political campaign to help implant in their heads the idea that somehow the Trump campaign was central to that uh, interference in our election, Uh, and to proceed on the basis of, from what I can see, very little more than that dossier alone, which again was a political document, um, and which really put the FBI in a position of doing the bidding of political operatives.
0: I look forward to reading your next piece in the Wall Street Journal. Thank you, Kimberly Strassel, for your time today. I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time.